This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Welcome to today's edition of the Heartland's Institute's Daily Podcast. I'm Sterling Burnett, Heartland Senior Fellow and Managing Editor of Environment and Climate News. Anyone not living under a rock for the last few months should be well aware of the push by mega social media oligarchs of a leftist authoritarian bent to censor conservative free speech. From Twitter's ban on the sitting president at the cost of thousands of users who dropped the service, to Facebook deplatforming the walk away campaign, to Google and all the other social media outlets ganging up to shut down Parler. Big social media has demonstrated they are in the bag for the left, regardless of its impact on their bottom line. I guess when you get rich enough, once the company you own is publicly traded, you no longer need care about profits or serving the largest customer base possible. To discuss one possible response to this dangerous Big Brother Big Tech partnership, I'm pleased to have as a guest today Justin Danoff. General Counsel and Director of the Free Enterprise Project at the National Center for Public Policy Research. Justin, thanks for being with us. Hey, it's my pleasure, sir. So, Justin, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you or the National Center for Public Policy Research, please tell us a little bit about your background and what the NCPPR is and the Free Enterprise Project. Sure. So uh, the National Center for Public Policy Research, we are a conservative think tank based in Washington, D.C., um, dating all the way back to 1982, was founded by um, our, our, our late um, chairman, Amy Moritz Reidenauer. Um, whenever her and I butted heads, uh, she, she had a great vision, but whenever we butted heads, she always reminded me, Justin, I founded this think tank in 1982 when you were born in 1982. <laughs> um, so, um, and she founded us, I said, with a great vision. The vision that she had was different. At the time, you know, think tanks were a relatively new-ish phenomenon, and they were largely just policy shops. And Amy was fine with working on policy, but she wanted us to be a do tank, as she called it, not a think tank. So she founded us to be more, more Spartan, more active. So we've always stayed small and agile, being able to respond quickly in the moment. Um, and then the second part of the vision was to be a voice wherever we thought conservatives were being the quietest. So hence the Free Enterprise Project. A little over a decade ago, we looked out at the landscape of corporate America, and we were just baffled at industry after industry that seemed to be moving in lockstep with ideological liberals. That had They, they, they now eschew conservative values um, and, and you know, started, started moving to the political left, and we were confused as to why that was happening. So we kind of peeled some layers back of the onion and saw that there was just a plethora of liberal organizations from unions to asset managers to activists like, you know, you can think of PETA, Greenpeace, all engaging with corporations regularly as investors. They were buying up stock in all of these companies that you would just think are traditional capitalist American businesses, and they were moving them into their cultural lane by engaging. So we did the same thing at the Free Enterprise Project. That you know, We just said, hey, we don't see a single conservative group doing this. All we see are dozens and dozens of high-profile liberal groups having great success moving corporate America into their cultural lane. What if we just tried and 
copy their model. So that's exactly what we did. We have stock in some of the companies that um, your listeners would consider the worst of the worst, far left, woke American corporations. So we have a voice in the room. So various so-called stakeholder groups, including those who support progressive labor, wage, and radical environmental causes, as you've already mentioned, often try to force corporations to adopt their policies or resolutions at shareholder meetings that would ultimately hurt the corporation. Uh, you know, I was raised, you know, my economics classes, corporations were set up to make a profit for the owners. Uh, these want to do all sorts of social programming. Now, in part to counter that, you've you, you started discussing the Free Enterprise Project, but it seems to me the challenge you face is magnified in the world of big social media censorship. It's just sort of a whole new ballgame, isn't it? Oh, it is. It is. Um, you know, these are these are essentially oligarchs at this point. So, yeah, ju- yeah, just backing up to, you know, we you know, the Free Enterprise Project, we use a couple of tools that, again, we stole them directly from left-wing activists. We file shareholder resolutions on topics that conservatives would care about. The left files, you know, their resolutions. And if we put a pie chart together, Sterling, you know, we've been doing this for a decade. You wouldn't even see the sliver that is the Free Enterprise Project, right? It's, we're still massively outnumbered. The left files four to five shareholder, four to five hundred shareholder resolutions on their pet topics every single year. And we can file 20 working full time. So, you know, the, the disparity of engagement is one reason companies are getting so woke. And with the big tech companies, you might find this interesting. They are, they are some of the companies that are pressured the most. They are not woke enough for the activists. The activists go after Mark Zuckerberg to be even more totalitarian, believe it or not, that Amazon doesn't take off enough conservative content. They don't discriminate against conservatives enough. They are under assault, essentially, from the left to get even further to the radical left. Okay, so that's the problem is conservatives – we go and we see what's happening to organizations on, you know, Facebook and YouTube and Twitter. And by the way, on Google as well, the National Center for Public Policy Research right now, we can't advertise on any of those platforms. We've been denied access. And we're, yeah, because the, the, you know, the, the, the oligarchs have decided that they don't like our content. They don't like what we do. They don't like our conservative voice. So they're trying to silence us. And it's happening to thousands of organizations and individuals across the United States um, because they have just been given so much power. And with that power, the government granted them immunity as well. And so they're, they're, they're getting away with it. But my larger point for conservatives listening is, why should it be that at the last five shareholder meetings of Facebook, Google, Amazon, Twitter, and the list could go on, that we at the Free Enterprise Project were the only conservatives that showed up to voice concern for what those companies are doing to speech in the United States of America. While dozens and dozens of representatives of liberal organizations were there. If we're not going to have a voice in the room, if we're not going to be part of the discussion, it's all the easier for these companies to go ahead and shut us out. So conservatives have this general inclination when they see something they don't like from a company to say, oh, I'm, I'm done with them. I'm just going to boycott. And, you know, the libertarians, of course, kept saying with social media, just go start your own thing. Well, Parler tried to do that. 
And then Apple and Alphabet and Amazon teamed up to disappear them from the Internet. So that didn't work out so well for part. Um, so that, yeah, it's, it's, it's a whole new ball game when it comes to um, corporate America. But I just have this promising note that the left has figured out how to do this. They've figured out how to weaponize corporate America to do their bidding. Why can't conservatives just do the same? Well, I, I guess I have a question. Um, you say the left has figured out how to do this, and they show up with their shareholders' resolutions. But I would wager, I, I could be wrong on this, I've never done any of the research, but I would wager even then they they only they they own only a sliver, a small amount of the stock in a corporation, uh, in, in any corporation that they're trying to pressure, and that the majority of the stockholders didn't get into this for uh, social uh, policy making for 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 social control. They got in it to see returns, so that when they retire, <laughs> they've got a nice portfolio. So since so many of these policies will hurt their portfolio, why do corporations cave into these these really, really minority shareholders? It's a, it's a very complicated answer that I'll make it uh, – I'll put it simply this way. If you think the presidential election vote was rigged, that ain't got nothing on how rigged the vote is on shareholder corporate proxy statements. What you have – you're right. The investment community, if you, you know, pulled them, they don't want anything to do with this. The problem is the vote is rigged. So what you have is the equivalent of a red state election every year that goes blue because the conservatives forgot to show up. So when it comes to voting on shareholder proposals, and by the way, also for board board members, every year publicly traded companies hold one annual meeting where those votes take place. Now, in the, when it comes to advising, and this is big clients too, not just individuals, but when it comes to advising on how to vote those proposals up or down, two firms control 97% of the market. It's a true oligopoly or a duopoly. They control 97% of the market and they share the, 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 the worldview of folks like Elizabeth Warren and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So they recommend votes and then fund managers. This is just a, a you know, a, a human innate quality. Someone else is advising. Great. They did the work. I don't have to, I don't have to look into it. They just rubber stamp whatever these two firms, they're called institutional shareholder services and glass Lewis. Most fund managers just robo vote. Whatever those two firms tell them, they just do it. And so the vote is heavily stacked in favor of liberal ESG, environment, social, and governance shareholder resolutions, and against anything that makes common business sense. Because these firms, again, as you mentioned, the filers of these shareholder proposals, they don't have a lot of money. They don't have a lot of stake, right? But since the vote is rigged, that's what's occurring, Sterling. It's shocking. Um, I, you know, there needs to be congressional attention put on this. What about, um, and the other, what uh, about, what about fiduciary responsibility? I mean, they're, they're, they're supposed to, to return a profit. And if they're cutting into their profit, I mean, you know, and I know that many of these public pension funds are virtually bankrupt. They're, they'll not be able to service their obligations. And so it can't be the case 
that they're blind to the fact that when they support these resolutions, uh, they're hurting their bottom line. They're making themselves less able to actually follow their fiduciary responsibility. Are they that, are they that stupid? Are they that, are they that stupid? No, they're that craven. Right. And so some of the biggest actors in the liberal ESG environment, social and governance space when it comes to resolutions are New York State and California State retirement system. One of the largest one of the largest filers of the resolutions, let alone voting on all of them, is the New York the New York controller who is in charge of the New York State retirement system. He's a liberal activist that cares much more cravenly about politicizing corporate money than about making profits for his retirees. California, CalPERS and CalSTRS, the retirement systems out there, same exact way. They're craving. Um, they care much more about the, you know, the political and policy outcome than they are looking out for the fiduciary responsibility that is their jobs. It's just the world, the world I live in. These are these are true believers in pushing their far left policy, and they'll they'll stop at nothing to do it. So, Justin, you've written recently, and I'm going to quote here extensively. Quote: There's a double standard that's cutting against conservatives between acquiescence to the incoming Biden Harris administration agenda and a backlash over perceptions the U.S. Capitol breach. About the U.S. Capitol breach, big business is acting as a muscle for the political left in perhaps the most high-profile examples of bias ever, unquote. What's the danger of Google, Facebook, Twitter, and the other search engines and high-tech, big-tech social media companies' collusion with the Democratic Party and how much of the mainstream me- and uh, much of the mainstream media to suppress free speech and free association? How serious is that danger? It's the greatest danger to communication, certainly in my lifetime, um, and probably going back multiple generations, right? If they can reduce your ability to reach your audiences, which is what Facebook and Twitter do to conservative groups all the time. I mentioned again, we're banned from advertising. So we can't reach new individuals on these platforms. We can't reach new individuals through Google ads. Okay, so... Our message at the National Center for Public Policy Research is limited in scope, um, and that's just through banning of ads, right? They haven't taken down our posts or anything like that. So if you can't debate ideas openly because only one, one side of an idea is given a megaphone while the other is being f- ever more filtered into a smaller sliver, um, what we have is a great era of untruth that is going to be unleashed across. Um, and it's not just here in the United States, by the way, they, they, they control the search everywhere. Right. And so that's, that's the danger that we're living in. And we used to have, and this was a very liberal idea that the best way to combat speech is with more and more speech where you debate ideas openly and that terrible ideas, both from the left and from um, extreme parts of the right, terrible ideas are rooted out, right? Because they're, they're, they're seen for what they are. But if, if, if the true concern, and this isn't the true concern, by the way, if, say, Jack Dorsey's the, the CEO of Twitter, if his true concern was 
that there's, you know, QAnon conspiracy theories running rampant and that it's people are doing crazy things because of it. Well, if you don't put light on crazy ideas, they are going to find the dark. And what I mean by that is if you take them off Twitter, if you, you know, take them off Google searches, if you take them off Facebook, their ideas are just going to find darker corners of the web where they're going to proliferate. And so you're going to send extremes on both sides, by the way, further out into the extreme. And so that is the worst possible outcome of what they're engaging in is you're going to radicalize extremists um, of every ideological stripe. And you're and, I, I, and in the process, you're feeding into their paranoia. I mean, they already think big government, whether it's left or right, is out to get them. Whether it's the police, if it's Black Lives Matter, or uh, or uh, or the Democrats, if it's QAnon or whatever, um, they already are paranoid about this. And then when you say, "Ah, we're going to," uh, you you have no voice from now on. We're going to shut down your speech, or they allow one voice and suppress another voice. It feeds into that paranoia. They say, see, we we, we were right. You know, we, you've proven it. Well, and, and the power goes straight, you know, straight to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, straight to the U.S. Capitol, right? I mean, in advance of an election where the New York Post, not some, you know, conspiracy theory message board, but the New York Post publishes information about Hunter Biden and his, you know, scandalous relationships with foreign foreign leaders, and that Facebook and Twitter decides that that's fake just as the decider and takes all of those down, only to find out that the FBI confirms all of the, you know, stories from the New York Post once the election was over, right? So they're they're quite literally trying to change the outcome of elections as well. So their their power to do that is massive. So they can they can support speech that they like and give it a megaphone, right? Um, and and Google does this. Google does this. They admit it, right? They don't hide this. That objective truth that they oppose, they change, right? So if, for example, you were doing a Google search for chief executive officers, objectively more men than women would show up in the Google image results. Well, Google has now changed that because they don't like that more CEOs in America are men than women, and they don't like that there's not a large representative of un, you know minority populations. So the Google search result for that, they went in and manipulatively changed objective fact to the subjective truth that Google would like to see. So now they've changed it to be half male, half female, some non-binary mixed in there, and a whole slew of my, you know, extra minorities thrown in to change the result of what they would like to see. Same thing if you do things like founding fathers and whatnot. And then, you know, you can just type this in if you're listening. Type this in on Google. Type in man can. And the first few results are absurd. It's man can get pregnant. Men can have babies. And if you type in women can, the answer is be president, do anything, be brave, it, you know, these, these positive messages. So Google, when it was initially founded, um, it was a capitalist, comp you know, 
because it set up the best algorithm of all of the searches because the algorithm reached the objective truth that most Americans were searching. So it gave you the best search result fastest other than all the others that tried to prop up. But now that they've gotten as big as they are and control over 90% of search, now they don't need to be objective anymore because they've got, you know, they've reached the kingdom. So now they can control what you see when you search for the subjective truth of left-wing activists sitting at a desk in Silicon Valley, not the objective truth of human reality. That's, wow. I won't say this has taken us far afield, but it's taken us in a direction I didn't want to, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think we'd go. But let me ask you this because something you said just really disturbs me. And, and it seems to me it might undercut their efforts. So if they change the search for CEOs, right? So we know what the objective fact is. More men are CEOs than women. Um, and they change it to make it look as if women and, um, gender uh, gender identity uh, individuals are CEOs in equal amounts then when the truth uh, when, when when people are fighting for more women in the boardroom and more women as CEOs and I'm just a casual observer who goes in and searches gosh is it true that there's a glass ceiling and they can't get through and I do a <laughs> and I do a Google search and it says no look there are all these women there it's like I'm going to say well that's just a lie <laughs> even though <laughs> they they've undermined their own cause there haven't they <laughs> yeah but again it's you know they'd say you know who are you going to believe me or your lying eyes right so it's, <laughs> yeah i mean it's not a sustaining model for yeah. sure um because i will i certainly can't say everybody in this day and age but most people don't enjoy being lied to and you can only lie to people for so long before they before they revolt um and so yeah it's we gave these companies way too much power um and you know, there again, the the conservative mindset. There, you know, there's this libertarian bent to say, well, everyone should leave business alone to be business. Well, this isn't acting as a business. This is acting as a totalitarian um, dictatorship of some kind. It's another branch of the government. Changed. It's it's just another branch of the government. Well, that's right. It's Let's trying to control look. social policy. That that that's right, and there, there there's corollaries that we can that we can look to, right? When Apple, for example, I think they were the first to take Parler off its App Store. Well, that reminded me immediately of the Hong Kong Freedom Fighters, where their communication apps, because the Chinese Communist Party came in and told Apple like disable their communication apps. Apple did disable the apps that they're getting news from. Apple did. In that sense, they were literally a direct arm of the Chinese Communist Party, right? And so in America, it's a very similar corollary because you had leading liberal politicians demanding, you know, deplatforming of President Trump, demanding that they, you know, that Parler be, you know, unpersoned, like George Orwell might say. And so they did that. Now, it's not as, you know, a direct line as what was happening, what happens in China. I'm sure not what was happening. This still happens every day in China with Apple and other companies. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very similar and it reminds me it's a quasi governmental action. Um, and it's, it's frightening. On a different but related topic that falls under the free enterprise project purview, 
Stock market oligarchs are trying to enforce their version of a socially just, equitable, diverse society on companies to, wishing to take uh, their on, on companies wishing to take their company public. They want to trade stock on Nasdaq. What is Nasdaq proposing, and why is it not really within the stock giant's purview to force such requirements on companies? Sure. So NASDAQ has gone to the Securities and Exchange Commission, um, as that's their regulator, seeking permission to delist any corporation um, that doesn't have meet two new board requirements. The first, and they're both related to skin surface diversity. The first is that you must have a woman on your board. And the second slot is you must have either an underrepresented minority or someone that fits the ever-expanding definition of LGBTQ+. Plus slash queer community, but they never actually define queer community. So I don't even know what that means. So basically, um, if you're not woke, NASDAQ wants to kick you off the exchange. If you don't diversify um, in the way that NASDAQ wants, they're, they're going to have the right to delist you from, from, the camp, from, from their uh, marketplace. So you won't be able to get you know, public, public money anymore. And this is when I first saw that, you know, I think it was Reuters article on this, the first headline, you know, NASDAQ seeks to diversify boards. I, I thought the headline could have been rewritten. NASDAQ admits affirmative action for higher education is a failure, right? Because we all know affirmative action for higher education is just racist on its face and that it's harmed more minorities than it's helped because it puts them at institutions where they're unable to compete because they don't belong there academically. We've known this for a very long time that this was going to be a failed experiment because it was supposed to it was supposed to provide a quality of opportunity. But since it didn't because it's racist and sexist, well, now Nasdaq is demanding equality of outcome. And again, you, you, we talked about fiduciary responsibility earlier. Boards and managers of publicly traded companies, their fiduciary obligation is to their shareholders. So putting someone on a board based on what they look like, not on how they can help the company, well, this is just, just smacks of a violation of their fiduciary responsibility, that, let alone the unconstitutional nature of this, which is why NASDAQ is doing it this way. Because as far left as our current, you know, Capitol Hill makeup is and the current White House is, they know they could never get this passed legislatively because it's unconstitutional. So they're trying to, you know, sneak around the process by doing it through an obscure rulemaking at the Securities and Exchange Commission. But, but NASDAQ would come back and say, oh, we give the companies an out though. They can, they, they can have a bunch of white men on the board, but they need to explain why they can't diversify. <laughs> And no company is going to do that in 2021. They're going to put a, you know, you're just handing them a pen so they can put a scarlet letter on their own shirt, right? Well, the rule they, has, know, they're going to, has the rule been approved yet or is it, does the public still have a, uh, the ability to have some say on this? Yes, the public still has an availability until early March. I forget the exact date, but so you have, you have time. Uh, the SEC, it's, it's called, uh, you know, a public comment period that they're in right now where they're, the National Center, we've submitted a comment. Um, reach out to us at, 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 you know, come find me on nationalcenter.org. I can, I can run you through the process. It's very simple. Um, and I will tell you right now that as it currently stands, the left has put in far more comments praising this request 
than conservatives have showing the unconstitutional, illegal nature of this and that they're skirting process by doing it. So what is the makeup? Very imp- what is the makeup of the commission? Is it uh, uh, does it lean Republican? Does it lean Democrat? Um, it will lean Democrat um, in the in the near future. Right now, um, the commission at the Securities and Exchange Commission is always a three to two split. But right now, the, the chairman's retired. So it's a two to two split. But President um, Biden has already announced a far left individual, Gary Gensler, uh, to be the chairman. So it will be by the time this rule comes down for a decision, it will almost certainly be, unless there's a problem with his nomination process, um, a three to two Democrat to Republican split. Wow. So, Justin, how might the Free Enterprise Project respond to these threats to free speech and free markets uh, through through shareholder resolutions, attempts to replace management, for example, or maybe through lawsuits against corporate heads for eschewing their fiduciary responsibility uh, uh, or, you know, through other, you know, political means, in, let's say getting states to, uh, to uh, give people the right to sue over things like this. I don't know. Yeah, I think that state action is very important here. I, I, I think that what we need to see is states pass legislation that give individuals um, who are whose speech is shut down a cause of action to sue. I think that that is probably the quickest uh, way to solve some of these problems when it comes to the far left takeover of corporate boards. We are filing resolution after resolution um, with companies demanding that instead of what NASDAQ is calling for uh, as diversity, that boards start diversifying from an ideological and viewpoint perspective. And it makes all the sense in the world. If boards are going to be diverse, the left has, the left justifies their push for diversity saying that, well, boards shouldn't have groupthink, but, if you're saying you must put a woman on the board or an underrepresented minority on the board, you're saying all women think the same based on their gender and the same for minorities. At, at, at some point in America's history, we called that sexism and racism. So we're, we're petitioning large corporations to diversify um, from an ideological perspective, because as we see, we're not going to unring the bell of corporations being heavily involved in our political processes and our policies um, anytime soon. So we do think avoiding groupthink is important. But if you have far left groupthink on a board, that's where you get to the point of a Google not even caring about their shareholders and not even caring about objective truth. That's how you can get to that point. Well, and, that's and, how you can get to that's how you can get to Amazon taking off Parler because nobody at the top is asking critical questions of won't this hurt us in the long run because we're turning off such a vast portion of the public, um, let alone just bad business. And then they're not they're not representing. Not only not their their shareholders, the the wide uh, body of shareholders' points of view, but they're also not representing the the public, um, uh, as as shown in elections. You know whether you think Trump, uh, whether you think the election was stolen, and Trump was cheated, or you think that Biden won fair and square. Uh, whether you think you know going back to Hillary and Trump, you know that one was decided fairly. What everyone can acknowledge is that these were close elections, that the, that the American public is not, there is not of one mind in the American public 
Um, and the board should represent that perhaps. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly right. Um, and, and, and so yeah, that's one, one way we've been trying to combat this problem. I mean, the other problem is, you know, that, that's a top down issue. The other problem is the bottom up issue, right? Where, um, we've got cancel culture running rampant through society where conservatives are being purged essentially, uh, for, you know, posts on Facebook that their colleagues don't like and, and other, and other such nonsense. So all, all of these large corporations, they have, you know, equal employment opportunity policies, and we're seeking protection for viewpoint within those policies as well to try and combat the, 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 the cancel culture that's just going wild and seems to be gaining, gaining momentum by the, by the day. Um, and we see this not just, you know, in tech companies. We see this all across corporate America where individuals who express an opinion that the in group, um, the woke crowd doesn't like, are, are losing their jobs, and so yeah, we're 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 working on that angle as well. Big picture, Justin. If you can make just one point, what's the most important single point you'd like our listeners to take away from our discussion today? Engagement, in a single word, engagement. Companies um, that don't hear from you don't have to take your view into account. If our idea is we're just going to close our Facebook page, we're going to close our Twitter, um, then they don't have to listen to you. The the left has succeeded in moving corporate America so far to the left by that one single word, engagement. And if conservatives want to bring a semblance of balance back to the corporate cultural lane, that is the single best way to do it. Powerful words, Justin, uh, and, and big, important Thoughts and ideas on big, important topics. We've been pleased you'd be with us today. I want to thank you on behalf of myself and our listeners. Thank you, Sterling. It was a pleasure. Listeners, thanks for checking in on us today. Please check Heartland's website as we follow the work of Justin Danoff, the Free Enterprise Project, and the other great analysts and efforts at the National Center for Public Policy Research. And please continue to follow the progress of energy and environmental laws and regulations that affect you through Heartland's website. Go frequently to our policy bot site your one-stop shop for free market solutions to public policy problems. In addition, if you're not already receiving these podcasts daily on your favorite device, go to iTunes and subscribe. And when you have the time, please rate our podcast on iTunes so you can help us expand the reach of free market ideas. Thanks. Take care. Bye.